Hey guys, before today's episode of the podcast, I want you to text me 212-931-5731. If you don't, you're missing out. I'm putting all my eggs in the fucking text basket. 212-931-5731. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Hey podcast listeners, it's Andrew from Team Gary V. I'm Gary's business development guy and also have the opportunity to edit and produce the podcast here. You have a really special part two episode. Part one was yesterday, so I would love for you to check it out. Uh, But part two is another series of interviews Gary did with publications out in Armenia. I think you're going to love the topics that we discussed here. And please would love to hear from our community, would love to hear from you. So tweet us at Gary V with your favorite moment and a takeaway. This first interview is with the next web. So there's someone that sees the folk truck, the folk truck guy, the person staring at a spreadsheet eight hours a day, all listening to the Joe Rogan podcast while at work. It was a great shout out on audio content today. But for anyone that missed that speech, can you just expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, look, I think we're living through a time where audio consumption is exploding. I think it's because people want to do multiple things at once. We are multitasking at a level that we've never seen before. Between, you know, people are now listening to a podcast, watching TV, working on their phone. I think the capacity of the human being to do a lot is far greater than most people realize. And for that reason, I believe that podcasts are a very big space that has still been untapped, even though we've seen enormous success. You know, I believe Joe Rogan is going to eventually sign a $100 million plus deal to go exclusive on a platform because there's that much attention. And so, yeah, I think everyone should look at audio. Now, many people listening will manage their home lighting, their home entertainment and home heating, all using their voice. And yet when they enter the office at nine o'clock on a Monday morning, it feels like going back in time to 2009. Can you explain? So our expectations as consumers are gonna change everything, aren't they? They will, and I think, look, I think people running their homes through a voice infrastructure is still quite low. Very techie, nerdy people have gotten there. Like me. (laughs) But I do think in 10 years, you will see that become the norm. And I think you're right. I I think offices are going to be challenged and required to catch up with our home infrastructure. It's gonna be very frustrating when you navigate your entire home and your car and your life through voice and then you get to the office and you have to go back to your phone, which now seems like remarkable technology. So I do think every conference room and every office will be wired with you know, speaker technology or listening technology as I'll call it because who knows where the advancements go into. Um, yes, I believe that. And for 178 years, Thomas Cook shaped the way we travel and how we saw the world. And we both know how that story ends. And what fascinates me is the correlation between the downfall of Thomas Cook and the rise of digital platforms such as Airbnb, Culture Trip and so many others. And like, referring back to your keynote, that's what consumers are doing right now. But my question to you is, what do you think business can do to compete and survive when they're behind the digital curve? How do they play that game of catch up? Well, if they're a publicly traded company, they don't. The reason they can't catch up is they can't take the financial hit to invest in the infrastructure. It's really hard to be a company that's being measured on every 90 days financially to go make an investment into AI or voice because when you make that upfront capital investment but you don't get the immediate return, you're held to a scrutiny and, uh, and that's why big companies lose to little companies all the time. 
and our world is dominated by technology now. But what impacts do you see tech, automation, AI, etc.? And how's that going to change our daily work lives? And, what, and how does businesses manage that change? And by that, I mean job roles are going to evolve, and how do managers manage that kind of situation? I mean, this is this has been historic. Like factories, yeah. factories had to adjust to machines. Farmers had to adjust to tractors. <laughs> you know, retail stores had to adjust to registers that were computers versus cash. Um, this is not complicated. Yeah. This is historic. Uh, I just think that people are bad at history. I was a terrible student except for one class, history. And I think that's what's made me good at this. You know, when I first started working for my dad's liquor store, me, he did not take credit cards. And I kept telling him, Dad, people are walking into the store and leaving and going to different liquor stores because it's 1992 <laughs> and people use credit cards. And eventually he felt the pain enough to take credit cards. Um, I don't feel bad for somebody who does a job that a computer is gonna take over. Here's why. That has always happened. That's not my fault. That's not your fault. That's not, you know, Tencent or Facebook or Google's fault. That has always happened. Absolutely. People used to, we used to not have traffic lights and somebody used to get paid to help you get through intersections. Like, does everybody cry when they get to the airport and they go through a machine now, not somebody who checks your passport? No, they're happy because they don't want to wait 15 minutes because your job's in jeopardy. Don't be a hypocrite. You know that's coming. Autonomous cars, if you're a truck driver and you know autonomous trucks are coming in 20 years and you're a 28-year-old truck driver and you know autonomous trucks are coming in 20 years, at 48, is it autonomous trucks fault or is it your fault for not creating a new skill and getting a new job? Whose fault is that? We need to get into accountability, not into demonizing technology. 100%. We've talked a lot about the future, but I want to take you in time a little bit here now because in September 2008, just three months after the Apple launch, you gave your first TED talk at the Web 2.0 Expo. I'm curious, is there anything you would add to that TED Talk if you were to do it all again today? And what tips would you give to businesses about innovation? I would have ended it with, and in 10 years you'll see that I'm right. <laughs> I mean, that talk was about making content on the internet and every single person and company that invested heavily into that thesis has had dividends. Now, they might have overextended themselves, raised too much capital. They could be out of business for other reasons, but the attention of human beings has clearly, over the last decade, advanced dramatically on YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and podcasts. And so, like I said then, to smurf it up, I believe that today. I believe today that we've never lived in a time where if you love sneakers, that you can build a $200,000 a year business around talking about sneakers. That's remarkable. People didn't believe me 10 years ago. People may think it's hard today, but they believe it could be done. 10 years ago, they didn't believe it could be done. In 10 years, people will realize that's exactly what I should be putting my energy into. And so, um, you know, maybe I would have talked about the psychological happiness that comes along with that strategy 10 years ago. Now that I'm a little more educated on what stops people from doing it, yeah. um, but. Yeah. And you mentioned Facebook, man. I know you're a big fan of Facebook and you've called it early, but it seems that the regulators have got them in their sights yeah. at the moment. How do you see that panning out? Is that something that marketers... Poorly. Yeah. 
You know, I'm a fan of Facebook when it's the most underpriced attention. Yeah. I'm less of a fan of Facebook if you're trying to reach 40 and under today. I'm much more of a fan of Instagram. And if you're trying to reach 15, I'm much more of a fan of TikTok. I'm an enormous fan of Facebook if you're trying to reach 50 to 90. They live on it. So, you know, it's fun. Even when you ask the question where my brain went was historically, you know, there is nothing I will ever be a fan of that I will stay a fan of. Because I follow attention. I don't fall in love with platform. I was a huge fan of email in 1997. I was an enormous fan of Google AdWords in 2001. I loved direct mail in 1994. I believed in television commercials. I don't believe in those things anymore the same way I don't believe in MySpace today or Vine. And something else you called out early was eSports, of course. And there's going to be some people out there that say, it ain't a sport unless you sweat. But let me tell you, I sweat after when I'm 2-0 down in a game of FIFA. <laughs> That's a different story. So can you tell me about how, why you've now chose to invest in eSports and what excites you about that venture? It's starting to mature and get organized. It's yeah. less of the wild, wild west. I believe that Call of Duty is a game that can play the long tail. It's historic. It's a challenging game. It's a Western game. You know, it's not gonna play in China and other places. But I saw an opportunity to invest in a franchise with NFL owners uh, in a very established league. And, uh... Cool. Last question now, so we're on the home straight. So, so your message has always been about working hard, offer value, patience, rinse, wash, and repeat. And it's a simple message that I'm fully subscribed to, one of the reasons I'm sat here with you right now. I overheard a guy say at a recent event, I just don't understand what Gary is selling or what he's offering me. I'm a businessman that's not interested in flipping at a Gary sale. So what do you say to those people that don't grasp how you flipped it? Nothing is for sale. Um, and merely giving your message and offering value, that's what it's all about. What do you say to those people that just don't get it? Um, that I'll see them at the end. Yeah. Like, you know, like I respect why somebody, first of all, I believe that people often judge the way one communicates versus one, the way of what that person is actually saying. And I have to be self-aware. I have a very Jersey, high energy. I, I'm aware why some people may think I don't bring value because the style throws them off. Yeah. Um, I think my substance has been very historically correct. I would tell that person, that forget about me telling people how to flip, why did the video that I posted yesterday about flipping get 1.3 million views on Instagram and how can he, with whatever he's trying to sell, figure out how to be a contemporary communicator like I am and take advantage of Instagram or LinkedIn or TikTok or podcast. It's not about how I'm filling the pipes because maybe flipping doesn't work for you. Maybe self-esteem isn't something you care about. Maybe parenting isn't something you care about. But the way that I'm reaching or creating awareness matters. I'm sure that every business would like to figure out how to never ever come to Armenia in their lives and when they come, many, many, many people want to talk to them. That's called building brand. Every business and organization can learn from that. It's a beautiful moment to end on. Thanks so much as always, Gary. Thank you, brother. The second interview here is with El Pais, and I may be butchering the name. I apologize.
Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I get it. How are you? I mean, hi, thank you. I'm just talking about Thais, by the way. This thank you. Yep. Paper. I'm aware. So, um, you're a big star on Kim Kardashian and Alexis Ocania. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm quite surprised at the, all the attention you're getting here. Thank you. I'm flattered. And, um, uh, so and you, know, you know what's interesting about that? Yeah. It's an interesting way to start. I don't think people realize how much attention is happening on the internet. You know, unlike a lot of real celebrities, I don't have a traditional media platform. However, I'm so aggressively playing in all the digital platforms, which is why every day I hear from people that are paying attention and are thoughtful. God, I'm surprised. One, I'm playing in a lot of different demos. You know, different ages, different countries. It's all predicated on the speech that I just gave, which is contextual creative at scale will trump everything else. How did you do it? I mean, how did you did it? I did it first. by, at first I did it by slowly but surely, right? Yeah. First it was one platform at a time. But over time I realized the smartphone is really the cable network and the 10 platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, they're just the biggest cable channels. And if I can have the biggest show on each of them, well inevitably that will work out. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what you're seeing. And how do you do it if you had to put it in 280 characters? How do you do it from your uh, your father's liquor store hmm. to get here? Um, it's a great question. <laughs> uh, by being deeply consumer-centric. By completely reverse engineering, bringing value instead of what I wanted for myself. I And then by speaking my truth. You know, I am an entrepreneur. I was an entrepreneur before it was cool. And so by the time it got cool, I had a real career. You know, I remind people, I had a career for 12 years before I started talking. Everybody talks now from the beginning. Um, so the truth and empathy. And um, so you talk a lot about consumer-centric, so being mm -hmm. consumer-centric. So how do you do that? I mean, uh, because of Listen, the secret? Lis listening. Okay. and not over-investing in something that requires it to work out. By never investing too much in something that, that is vulnerable to them changing, I'm always just riding along with them. So even if you think about my businesses, if I'm selling wine, I don't have to be one-dimensional. I'm not at the requirement of television, print, radio, blogging, search, email. I can just go wherever they are and then once I realized that was my talent, by building a marketing firm, you know, in seven years, VaynerMedia will not be the leader in social media because I'm not probably gonna wanna be in social media as much. It won't die, but it'll probably look more like search or like email. It will evolve. And I, for example, I'm hiring people for voice, for, for you know, uh, crypto, for, you know, for, AI, machine learning, I'm already investing in what's next instead of just trying to milk everything out of social. You're investing in what is next, but you said that you are very centered in this moment. Very. I mean. 98% of my behavior into this moment. A little investment in tomorrow. Yeah, I think most people get too far ahead of themselves or too behind themselves. I don't believe people are of now. And, and, but, but the technology are going so fast, it's going so fast. But so the consumer's slow. Oh, really? Yeah. The consumer is slow. How do you know that? I mean, how do you, do you know where the consumer is? Yeah. I spend that's, all that's my... A, I spend a secret, right? This, and you know what's funny? And the data is very simple. 
It's not very hard. I, you know, D-Rock and I were talking and he was telling me, he was talking to a friend about what's happening here in Armenia and then within seconds, I'm showing him the data of, of internet usage in Armenia. I know that Twitter is the 33rd ranked website. I know that Pornhub is the 17th. <laughs> I, I know that, you know, I know that Google, excuse me, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram are in top three, six. So the data's there. I believe that most people make a financial or romantic decision. That, they're, that what they do, makes sense to you, right? Yeah. I can see how you reacted. I think that they either have an ideology of what they wish was happening. I think most people try to make a decision with their heart or their wallet. And I try to make decisions with my brain. And I think that has uh, helped me. Uh, what would you say it was your most success, successful campaign? Hmm, that's a great question. You know, uh, that's funny. You know what first came to my mind? I think I might be doing it right now. I believe that text messaging is about to become one of the most important things to communicate on. That it's going to very much be a competitor to social media. And I'm currently right now being very aggressive to build my text platform on an app called Community. Uh, I'm very bullish on it. It reminds me of the perfect storm between social and email. And email is really the first place I really won. And social is where I'm currently winning. And I think if you do text messaging properly and you don't make it spammy and you put out great content, you'll keep people. And then I think when you send a text to buy something, the open rates and the conversion is very high. And so I'm very excited about it. And you're talking, are you talking about WhatsApp or Telegram? I mean, this kind of text platforms? Or? I am, but I already think they went too far. Uh, let me rephrase. Yes-ish, I'll tell you why. Text that goes natively to your phone, not through an app, is something that is what I'm referring to. Literally through the pipes. Um, and I think that the pureness of that in the America, to your point, a lot of countries globally that are, not in a, that are doing that same behavior on Telegram and WhatsApp are probably gonna miss out on the opportunity because it's already been established in a lot of ways in the way that it's behaving. Um, so that's what I'm thinking about. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, Can you text the team? I want to do more on Telegraph. Go ahead. What about the media, like me? I mean, what is our role in this? I think it's a very important role. I think, I think it's changed. Oh yeah, I think it's an important role. Uh, I think it's changed. Um, obviously, my biggest fear is that you have world leaders continue to try to undermine the media, which I think is a very unfortunate and not great thing. Are you talking about Trump? Of course, of course I am. And, and many, many other world leaders. I think, I think the balance of power between a media and a head of state has always been healthy. I think when you add a third group, which is humans, I think it becomes even healthier. I think in balance, all three, is the dance that I wish for society. I think every country and region will have its different realities. But I think media needs to be careful, I'll tell you why. So I just said all that. Meanwhile, in my industry of advertising, a lot of times media uses my name to get traffic. And they... I will probably. And yeah, but, but, but you're more generalized. I'm going very narrow. I'm in the advertising industry in America. And I've noticed a lot of those publications 
use funny headlines, mix my words for the benefit of, because I'm a disruptor in the space, when they do that and make me a character, they're getting traffic. Which then gets me into a place of not, not aligning, but at least understanding why media is going through scrutiny. I, I'm on the receiving end right now in certain publications where I think they're trying to create a narrative around me that is more about the way I communicate versus the substance of what I communicate. And so I think media needs to be very careful to not be in the headline business for traffic, for monetization. I think if the media industry was fair with itself, they would recognize that the hyperbole of their headlines in the, in the sake of getting people to come to their site to make pennies on banner ads has led to some of their undermining. Uh, do you want to Telegram? Go ahead. Do you have, um, I mean, you're a big expert in social media. What about the problems? I mean, harassment or even uh, fake news? Yes. What do you think about this kind of problems that social media are just putting? I, I think that that is exactly what happens with every platform. You know, there were plenty of print publications that said things that not everybody believes in. You can turn on the, tele I turned the television on in my hotel room last night and between Russian sanctioned TV, Fox News, CNN, BBC, there's two very different stories going on. I think social media is a platform. It exposes us, it lends itself to many voices. Uh, I don't think social media is doing anything different than traditional media. You know, if you had the means to shoot a satellite or buy a printing press, you could say anything you wanted. That's the truth. And so I find it very hard to watch people be confused that there's very little difference between RT and people putting out that same content on LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. I think it's a, we always demonize the new. Uh, I would not be happy to live in a world without it. Let's put it that way. But do you think that should be regulated? I mean, uh, on this or fake news? Listen, I'm very, I'm very comfortable with any regulation. I'm not anti-regulation. I think that regulating it would require us to then regulate Fox and CNN and RT and BBC. We don't want to regulate the platform. We want to regulate what people are saying. Let's regulate the internet then. I can go on any website. I mean, we need, we need to be more thoughtful about this. This is a little bit more of a, uh, not complicated. I think it's actually a very simple thing. If we're gonna regulate that, let's shut down Reddit. Let's shut down 4chan. Let's shut down every website that pops up every day. Let's shut down RT. Let's shut down CNN. I mean, let's shut it all down. I think what we need to do is, as a society, start challenging human beings to impose accountability on each other. I spend a lot, a lot of time and money and effort to put out practical optimism and kindness. And I think that a lot of people that are good people should spend more time producing content about good instead of sitting on the sidelines and judging people that are putting out bad content. Just one last question. If you had to give one advice, just one advice to all the people that are here, I mean, that are making 
business on the, on technology, what would be? What would it be? Just one advice. The person that is most aligned with the customer always wins. This third interview is with Apple Insider. How are you? Hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Campbell from Apple Insider. Really nice to meet you. How are you, my friend? Pretty good. So, good. What, uh, real quick, who are you with? Apple Insider. Yeah, thanks. So, real quick. They, they asked me if he could come in. I said yes. Yeah, thanks. How are you? Great. Good so, um, you said some really interesting stuff today about the uh, kind of current future that we're living in in the uh, audio first yeah. generation. Um, and it kind of. Uh, Kind of sparked a question in my mind about uh, virtual assistants and, yes. and how they're kind of uh, kind of proliferating right now. Yes. Um, Siri, you know, yes. Apple, uh, seven years yes. ago, and now they're just starting to come into their own. Yes, they are. AI. Yes. Um, so my question uh, to you is: um, Do you think that virtual assistants are a natural extension of what you were talking yes, about? Yes, I as, do. Uh, audio. Yes, I do. So they're kind of filling that uh, demand from consumers. I don't think it's there yet. But do I, right now I have four assistants. I have a ton of stuff going on. Which one, which one do you use the most? I'm sorry, I apologize. I have four human assistants. Okay, okay, okay. However, where I was going with that is, do I believe in 10 years, instead of being in my office and being like, D-Rock, can I, you know, do I believe I can be like Alexa or Apple or Google or if a Chinese company or Samsung or BMW or Nike or whoever wins the game, do I believe that I can say, hey Siri, I need a haircut? And Series advancements on its, you know, AI and things of that nature. Not only knows who my my haircut. Like when you think about ift, right? If this, then that. If you think about open source calendars. If you think about where this should go. Do I believe that within a decade, maybe 15 years, while I'm still in my prime, that I could say, hey, I need a haircut, and my Manny, my barber's calendar, looks at my calendar, and within moments that that's scheduled and I'm in that world? Yes, I do. Fourth interview you have here is with new.am. So businesses have to opt in or out to that feature, right? Do you think that businesses are gonna come around to that yes. time? Yes, right? they will. Because I think we'll all get used to weather apps and driving apps and ordering food and all these great things and businesses always follow consumers eventually. Right. So whose responsibility is it then to uh, kind of release that information that you request, say, uh, you know, give me the... Uh... I think that's Chinese companies' biggest vulnerability over the next 20 years. That if, the wor- if you look at the world, both the US, Europe, many other places, they're trying to undermine at all costs yes. Chinese technology companies around privacy because it's very unlikely right now that an American is gonna choose a Chinese-based company to be the holder of their private information. So, yeah, I think, I think, for example, I'm sure that I will make a decision in a decade when I'm talking about doctor appointments and all this stuff, I'm gonna pick the one that I trust the most. Right, because they'll have access to all your information. Now, I think I'm an extreme case where, to be very frank, I don't, I'm not devastated by people knowing Right. The far majority of my information. Me too. Me too. I just can't get excited about you knowing who my doctor is. You know, you know, unless banks don't return your money when fraud is happening, until that happens, I'm struggling to see why people are gonna care. Right. On that point, 
we're relying more and more on this kind of data aggregation and people are uh, service want access to your medical records and stuff like that. Yeah. So it becomes more of an issue. Um, and you know, yesterday Richard Clark was talking about, uh, I don't know if you heard, uh, he was talking about uh, cyber breaches and stuff like that and how it's, you know, one simple thing can cascade into The a, question becomes to what effect? You know, look, if you have HIV and you want to keep that away from the world, you're not going to share that. But, but I, I do believe that people overestimate humans' inherent need for privacy. I do. And I also think we'll be able to be in charge. If you're an inherently private person, you don't need to sign up for these products and services. When people are like, well, Gary, I'm like, don't sign up for Facebook. Unsubscribe from Google. Like, You know, it's like, you know, I think people make decisions in theory, not in practicality. Right, right. So, going back to voice system thing, do you think that audio, I know you said audio is the most important thing for uh, you know, consumers and businesses coming up. So, uh, do you see voice assistance, voice assistance as the most important technological feature that we're gonna see in connected devices? Yes, yes I do. I believe when this came along, I made a really good decision that it was gonna really matter, and a lot of my decision making, both in investing, in content production, in strategy was built around it. That has been proven to be true. I believe the biggest threat to that device in the world right now is a voice assistant. I believe there are so many things that I today look for this to do for me that Google Home, Alexa, Apple Pod will do for me. So once you get this whole... Uh, Infrastructure in place? Yeah, and the ecosystem and where we have speakers everywhere. Do you think that we'll need smartphones? Yes, because I think inherently some things are visual, but I think people are very much underestimating how many things can be done by auto. Right, like think about looking up something on Google. You know, like if you want, let's talk about information. Every day people search something for pure information from Google, you're gonna get it faster from a voice assistant. Who's the 13th president? What's the capital of Iran? You know, know, how do you put together a a bicycle? Like all of these things, in essence, can be done much better by a voice assistant. Right, right. Okay, last question. Um, So, as far as you, you talk a lot about method versus uh, substance, right? A lot of people misunderstand your methodology sometimes or it comes across as, um, I don't know, abrasive maybe. Yes. Versus what you're actually saying. Yes. Uh, applying that to uh, voice assistant technology, um, how do you think that companies who operate these platforms can actually um, you know, get over that hurdle? Because they're, right That's now, there's a, you know, there's a huge uh, kind of consumer uh, understanding gap between you know, Apple's saying we're improving the voice uh, of Siri. I got it. I believe that if you look at history, it's usually a singular moment. A killer app, a singular moment. So I believe there'll be an Alexa skill built that is so phenomenal, that catches virality, that makes everybody go, oh crap, I need that. You know, if you think back to the to the iPhone, whether it was a social network, whether it was Spotify, which iTunes itself. Yeah. I mean, I would argue yeah. iTunes itself, right? Um, <laughs> I, you know, whether it was MySpace, whether it was Tinder for dating, I, I think there's a moment, and I think there'll be a killer app or a functionality that catches the national, the global, you know, ecosystem, and the value prop will become obvious, and away we go. I remember eBay looking for wide awareness in the late 90s, it was 
it was Beanie Babies that put so many people on eBay. I would say Voice will have a Beanie Baby, uh, AR. It was Pokemon Go that, pe- that allowed people to even think about where this is going. I believe there'll be a singular voice moment that will trigger people saying, wait a minute, I can do that on that instead of this? Well, thank you very much. Wish you well. Um, Welt Digital, one of the two or three biggest newspapers in Germany. Awesome, thank you. Okay, I'm gonna start the recording. Okay. And uh, we're live. Right, so, in your talk, you talked about the importance of audio. Yes. How do you explain the success that podcasts have been seeing over the last couple of years? Uh, the evolution of human beings being able to multitask and wanting to. Mm-hmm. It's just easy as that. It's easy as that. Like, you know, I think pe- we thrive for information. We 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 subconsciously fulfill our needs for content in many different ways and learning and and we we want to learn and we want to be entertained. And if we can double dip, we will. And so, if we can, we also like being productive. You could list. You could be cleaning your home and if you want to be entertained, you'll put on music or a podcast that's a show. But if you're cleaning your home and you want to be educated, podcast is a great way to go versus the limited channels you have on your radio. I mean, it's just the cell phone's advancement. Yep. And the and the home devices, right? Yep. You can now listen to a podcast on your phone, you know, which is Bluetooth throughout your home or through your Alexa. And so I think it's just technology advancements. Where do you see podcasting headed and the creation of new audio formats as well? I mean, I think podcasting will continue to massively grow, Mm -hmm. Um, which doesn't mean individual shows will grow because once there's many more shows, there's only so much attention. Um, But I think they will continue to grow. And and as far as new formats, I think the the next format is really skill-based audio where we as humans are interacting with audio where we're actually doing things through our voice and a smart device on the other side. Yeah, could you give an example where that's useful? Booking our plane through Alexa instead of Expedia on your phone. Mm-hmm. Alexa, I want to go to Miami. When would you like to go? Thursday between, can you look at my calendar and tell me the cheapest price and the best time for me to go? That is a far better experience because it's using information from your calendar that is much smarter than my highest paid assistant and is far faster. And that was a very simple example that is easily done by Google Home by tapping into your Google Calendar and tapping into open web information. Think about that. Think about how fast the answer would have been done for me whereas that would have taken a $100,000 admin an hour to achieve. Think about that production. It is true, it is way easier. But do you think people will trust that? In yes. Time? Yeah. So it's just a matter of getting custom. Just a matter of time. Of course, people didn't like smartphones. Yeah. Okay. People didn't like pagers. People didn't like the internet. People didn't like fax machines. People didn't like technology. People don't like the future, mm-hmm. inherently. And the ones that do win. They like it once it's there, right? They like it when they have no choice. Mm-hmm. Most people are stubborn and don't like change. Um, What do you think, what kind of technology the average person in, let's say, 10 years will be using looking into the future? I think voice is gonna be the big one. I think AR, I think blockchain, I think 
you know, machine learning and AI, all, all of those things will advance. Um, I don't know how much, because there's so many variables that go into it. And I think we have a huge curveball now with, with the rise of nationalism, the rise of government involvement, so some of these things may slow down. Um, so do you think AR and VR will ever reach a mass market, really? A hundred percent. Of course, because they're inevitably good technologies. Like, there's a lot of entertainment and utility value in wearing those glasses and seeing information. You could literally be looking at me in 20 years and in the corner of your eye be given information of my latest thoughts of, you know, uh, you could, I could know who these people are. Right now, by wearing contact lenses, there could be a bubble above everybody's head and I can know how many followers they have, what their passions are, where they were yesterday. We're gonna like that. Why would it? It's scary at all. No, because I think cell phones and, and the internet are scary to our great-great-grandfather. You know, so, no, I don't think they're scary. I don't think anything is scary because that's been the way, you know, mm-hmm. an airplane was scary, yeah. a radio was scary, mm-hmm. a book was scary. They were scary. Yeah. So, no, I don't think they're scary. I think, I think they're just advancement. Mm-hmm. Talking about scary, um, you're facing a climate crisis. Are you optimistic that in 20 years, with the help of technology, obviously, we will be able to, to live on the planet, basically? I'm so undereducated on this matter that I'm going on complete intuition and my answer is I'm optimistic because I'm macro optimistic about human beings. Um, that's my true answer as being undereducated on the subject. Okay, but you're optimistic you'll figure it out. I am and, and when I say I'm under, undereducated, I don't speak to being anti-climate. I'm quite pro, let's do everything. If the planet's not here, we got problems. It's just such a, over my, you know, I just ha- it's so hard to understand for me. Um, uh, and, and I think we should do everything we can to you know, preserve the planet. And I hate that it's a political issue, which then creates my belief that we'll do nothing. And so then I have to go on sheer optimism and hope that the most doomsday points of view on how quickly our Earth gets demised is overstated. If we're lucky. If we're lucky. Let's, let's hope for that, yeah. Absolutely. Is there anything that you would, um, if you could give one advice to someone who's around 18, 19, 20 years old right now, maybe trying to figure out their career? Patience. What would it be? I think people's relation with time is remarkably bad. Yeah. I think a 20-year-old struggles to realize she will live four more lifestyles, four lifetimes, excuse me. So I think patience and I think communicating. I think it's inherently important to communicate. Obviously, you know, you, you understand that by taking a path in journalism. I think communicating is incredibly important and leads to so much opportunity. And so I would argue that a 20-year-old in Germany should become a contemporary communicator and she or he should write, should audio, or should video their thoughts, their dreams, their desires, their points of views, their opinions, and, and I think a lot of good can come of that. Maybe one last question. Do you have uh, any favorite wine, wine at the moment? You know, it's fun that you bring this up, coming from where you come from. I've actually been consuming a ton of Austrian and German whites lately. Uh, So I've been playing in your region quite a bit, but we're out of summer now, so I think I'll be moving towards reds a little bit more. Uh, I'm a very big fan of Beaujolais from France, uh, especially the better ones. I think they're very underpriced. I think the Gamay grape is underrated. Um, But yeah, I drank a lot of Austrian and German Rieslings and Gruners uh, this summer. (laughs) All right. Awesome, fun question.
Yes, big fan. Thank you. Here's the final interview for you with the local state TV. Hello, Gary. How are you? Uh, I'm great. What about you? Very well. Uh, this is your first visit to Armenia. What are it your is. impressions about our country and WCIT? The conference is incredible. Uh, just a, a, a wonderful vibe, a lot of thoughtful conversations around technology. Uh, you, know, you know, I'm from the former Soviet Union, from Belarus. I was born there. Um, so there's a war, you know, I feel like, you know, I feel like um, even though it's not exactly the same place, there is a kinship that I feel towards the people. And most of all, just a, an incredible warmth from the people, uh, an optimism, uh, a very high energy, uh, happy would be the thing that I think about. Um, there's no any country that doesn't want to be or to have the next Silicon Valley. Yes. Well, uh, what should Armenia do to attract IT giants? Look, I mean, if you want to attract IT giants, that's an easy one. It's called no taxes. <laughs> if you want to homegrown talent, like Sweden did with Spotify, it comes through programs and encouragement for capitalism and opportunity. Incubators, um, putting people that are innovating and creating entrepreneurial technology success on a pedestal, events like this, uh, and I think the new regime is very focused on that and, I, and it's obvious to me. In what cases would you consider to have businesses in Armenia? What, what rationale you mean? Uh, like why would one? Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, I think there's a lot of raw talent that can be had for low cost in comparison to the United States or Europe. That would be one of the rationales. Um, I mean, that to me is by far the number one. The only other reason would be tax subsidies or low cost of doing business here because there is inherent talent in the 10 million people here. Gary, in your speeches you always mention that it's always very important to have a brand. Yes. And what if you don't have one yet and you're in the process of creating one? What values you should take into consideration? Well, first you have to know yourself or your company. Like, what is your value? Like, why, why do you exist? And then it's about making creative that is contextual to your distribution. YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram are in the top six of all websites consumed in Armenia. So once you understand, it, I like your jacket, for example. Oh, thank you so if that was an Armenian company and you would talk about the quality or the style, yeah. once you establish we stand for quality and style, maybe it stands for price. Maybe it's a good price. Maybe it stands for limited and hard to get. I don't know enough, but once you decide, then you make content for those three platforms at scale, and that's how you communicate your brand value. I get it. Uh, well, uh, once during one of your speeches, you said that you spent three hours a day with three different clients trying to convince them to move from television to social media. But now we see this golden age of TV, we see Netflix and now Apple just started its, uh, on TV. So yeah, but there's, but there's, then? oh, traditional television is, is in very big trouble. Is it dead? I don't know, it's not dead because people are consuming it and more importantly, brands continue to overspend on commercials. So it's not dead, but between YouTube and Netflix and Amazon and I mean, Oh, by the second. Well, on social, social media, people are um, concerned with privacy. In this case, uh, what's the next step for social media? To, you know, 
people are concerned with privacy, yet social media consumption is at an all-time high today. People talk, but their actions are different. Well, um, along with privacy, there's another a non, let's say non-manageable thing on social media, the fakes. Fakes? Yeah, in Armenia they are hugely popular and you can see an Instagram account with millions of uh, followers, uh, but a single account can have 50 different fakes or maybe more. So should we, become, uh, I mean, should we worry about this? Should we start a war against these fakes? Or I, should we at all? I think that I think the fact that you even know they're fake, I think we underestimate humans' ability. Fakes get figured out by humans, not by rules. But a single person can have like 50 different ones, so in this case, they all belong to one person. And, and what kind of accounts, just so I understand your question? They're media accounts or they're make pretend people? No, 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 personal accounts, but they are fake. Like they how does, that, how does that bother one, is the question when you see an Instagram account with millions of followers, but you see that half of them are fake. But I don't think that's hurting anybody but the person that has the fake account. You see where I'm going? Yeah. Fake only works when you don't know they're fake. Mm. Fake only works, my friends, when you don't know they're fake. When you know they're fake, it undermines the action. That's fake. You understand? Yeah. It's a very important part of this conversation. People are like, oh Gary, this person's got a million followers. That, that doesn't take away from me. That person's gonna be exposed eventually. Gary, if I have a brand and I want to start promoting it you know, on Facebook or Instagram, where, where should I start? I mean... By uh, making content. But what about choosing the right social media? I mean, Both. You rather- if you're in Armenia, you have to be on Facebook, YouTube, and, and Instagram 100%. Twitter, maybe. But those three, I'm aware, I look at the numbers. There's still some action there, but it's not as popular here. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, it is requirement. Not one of them, all three. Okay, Eric, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks guys for listening. Please, please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed because a bunch of you aren't subscribed and more importantly, a bunch of you listen every day and haven't told your friends it's the best podcast in the world. I'm watching. (laughs) Have a great day.